Well, it, it, it has happened, and I need you to know I, I have converted. I'm, I have changed a major, major part of my worldview. It has happened. It has come to this, and it all happened in the last three minutes. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here, The Eric Erickson Show. If you'd like to be a part of the program, the phone number is 877-973-7425. I would like to formally declare myself at this moment to be, in limited circumstances, pro-abortion. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually pro-abortion for very one, one specific thing. Y'all, the, the Democrats have just released a new song, and I am in favor of abortion of this song. Listen to this garbage. Oh, I got to rearrange. Boy, that was a buildup, and then I forgot to click the button to actually let you people hear it. This is so terrible. You, too, will be in favor of abortion rights against this song. We got infrastructure. Back to the house. Time for build back better than what I'm about. So, Mr. President, Madam Speaker, House Democrats, let's do this. Let's do this. I'm a bill with critical and historic investments in child care, health care, climate care, immigration, and more. Can can we be just just those of us who are can we just support abortion of this one thing, please, please, somebody get me a coat hanger. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is horrible. And okay, I, I just listen. I'm I'm sorry. I I I don't mean to offend. I really this is terrible. <laughs> This is, I would rather the montage of the celebrities all singing. This is, and they, it's an animation, y'all. It's an animation that's designed to look like the schoolhouse rocks, how a bill becomes a law with the little rolled up bill. It's horrible. Oh my gosh. This is, please, Lord, make this stop. Please. Oh my gosh. Um, uh, I, this is, I was going to talk about something else. To start the program, but that's just horrible. Actually, I, I'm I'm going now to I'm going to go to the Bible. <laughs> just bear with me. I have a point. I do. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand, and the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation— shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in 
But they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation, and the king was greatly alarmed, and his lords were perplexed. But one of them remembered Daniel, and Daniel was brought before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations and languages trembled and feared. Now we skip down. And it says, then from his presence, the hand was sent and the writing was inscribed by God. And this is the writing, many, many, tinkle and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Many. God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tinkle, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel with clothed in purple, a chain of gold was put around his neck. Proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler of the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom. (laughs) So much for clothing Daniel in purple, huh? Now, I start with this, because most all of you are familiar with the story, the hand upon the wall. You find this in Daniel chapter 5 in the Old Testament of the Bible. It's a very famous story. It applies at a theological level in various ways. I'm not going to talk about the theology. I'm going to talk about the history. Daniel was an actual person. Uh, He actually, there is a tomb in Iran to this day where he is believed to be buried. Historically, it is presumed he is buried there. He died a very revered figure even among the Persian Empire. This is documented as a story that is truthful, whether you believe it or not. I don't care. It is believed by the Muslims. It is believed by the Jews. It is believed by the Christians that this event happened. The key thing here is that Belshazzar, the emperor, the king, totally forgot his history. Totally forgot everything. He got greedy. He assumed that that it was all his now. He assumed that, that he couldn't be touched. And it was all swept away in one night of terror after a hand wrote on a wall. We are beginning to see that terror set in upon the Democratic Party. Here's the problem. And I listen, so I, I want you to understand, uh, peel back the curtain a little bit. I'm obviously conservative. I'm partisan. I'm Christian. I try, however, my best to give people just play it straight. I'll tell you what I think, but let me tell you what's actually going on first. I want to tell you what's going on, and some of you who are conservatives are going to hear me and think I'm giving advice to the Democrats. No, I'm, I'm trying to explain for all of you the lay of the land that's actually upon us. 
to the Democrats, you're going to hear what I'm saying and think I'm giving you advice, and to a degree I will be, and so you won't take it, thinking I'm trying to lure you into a trap. All I'm trying to do is explain to everyone right now the lay of the landscape. I wish to read you polling. In the, This is from the New York Times. In the eight states expected to have the closest Senate elections, Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Nevada, New Hampshire, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, President Biden's overall job approval rating is 33%. Lower than Donald Trump's in the swing states of 2018. We have reached the moment of crisis for the Democratic Party today in multiple news outlets in the editorial pages of the left at the New York Times and the Washington Post at USA Today, on MSNBC, on CNN. It is inescapable at this point that bad things are headed towards the Democrats and they're having to come to terms with it. They are having genuine problems dealing with the reaction to what is happening in the polling. They they can no longer defend Joe Biden. They are having to recognize that there are legitimate fundamental underlying problems and there's no way to escape those problems. The Democrats have no plan to escape those problems and it is just doom and gloom. I go back to last Sunday and Chuck Todd on Meet the Press. So what happened to Democrats on Tuesday goes far beyond the defeat of Terry McAuliffe in Virginia or Governor Phil Murphy's narrow escape in New Jersey. If you look at it from coast to coast, it was a warning to Democrats that their congressional majorities are in grave danger. And then there's George Stephanopoulos from two days ago. We're coming on the air this morning with a brand new poll, and it's brutal for President Biden. His approval rating has hit a new low. Only 41% of Americans think he's doing a good job in office. 53% disapprove. 70% believe the economy is in bad shape. And with inflation at a three-decade high, only 39% approve of Biden's handling of the economy. Looking ahead to the midterm elections, Republicans have a 10-point lead among registered voters. Their largest lead ever in the 40-year history of our poll. The 40-year history of that ABC News Washington Post poll. You can think the polling itself is bad, and we're about to hear the Democrats complaining about the polling. The problem is the trend line, and the trend line there is consistent across polls. And then there was this on MSNBC yesterday. Calling all Thanksgiving shoppers. Supply chain issues are impacting how many turkeys are available this year, and Bob's Turkey Farm in Lancaster is already feeling the effects. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, they're all spoken for at this point. Well, it's been crazy. Farm co-owner Sue Miner says they're already clean out of fresh turkeys, with customers flocking to their business due to fears of shortages at grocery stores. People were calling in August wanting to order their turkeys, and we would not even go live with our order system until September 27th. And right away, I don't know how many, hundreds, hundreds of turkeys coming in daily orders. Plus, Bob's is processing fewer turkeys because of a shortage of staff. I sympathize for our customers because people that have been buying here for years and years and years are used to being able to call. This year, market research firm IRI reports that 60% of turkeys nationwide are already out of stock. 
And the same goes for other products. IRI reports cans of cranberry sauce, 20% out of stock. Sweet potatoes and yams, a quarter out of stock. The only thing more in stock than last year is stuffing. <laughs> oh, oh, they're about to stuff it up. Uh, oh, better not say that. This, this, this is not good for the Democrats. It's not good at all for the Democrats. And now this, too, from MSNBC to this morning. Out here in California, you can see the reason why people are spending more on gas. Behind me, we've got a gas station selling gas for about $5 a gallon. Down the road, it's about $6 a gallon. And all of that is adding up to a holiday weekend, Thanksgiving coming up. $600 $600 million more per day Americans are going to spend on their gasoline. The president this morning is out calling for a Federal Trade Commission investigation to why gas prices are not going down. He can't say it's his fault. He's now trying to blame the gas producers of America for keeping prices high. He's tried to get OPEC to release more oil. They've said no. Now he's trying to blame American business for it. This is a problem. The hand is upon the wall. Your days are at an end. And the Democrats are beginning to know it. And they're beginning to panic. Here is the bottom line problem all of you need to understand. And and I mean this honestly, lovingly, not in a partisan way. People are headed to Thanksgiving dinner next week. They will talk, not about politics, but about life. They will tune out the news except to watch the Detroit Lions lose on Thanksgiving Day. They will tune out the headlines. They will spend time with family. And they will talk about how prices have gone up and gas is more expensive and we're not over this damn virus and life cannot go on as we were promised. And then they will get into the Christmas season and everything will be more expensive and everything will be harder to buy. And their perceptions will start to lock in. Kids will leave school for the holidays. There won't be a focus on news. There will be a focus on family and shopping and the holidays and enjoying each other. And it will be more costly. It will be more expensive. It will be harder to get things. There will be more disappointed kids who can't get what they wanted for Christmas. And then the midterm elections begin. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Okay, um, so I need you guys to know if you're on the recipe list, you're about to get a volley of recipes on the recipe list uh, in the run-up to Thanksgiving. So you're going to get my gravy recipe. You'll get my dressing, stuffing recipe. uh, You'll get the breakfast recipes. uh, You're going to get a lot of recipes this week. Uh, Don't spam you. Don't sell them. Uh, If you want them or you just want to go look at the recipes, I haven't posted them yet, but... Text the word RECIPE to 33777, and you will get a link back. If you click it, this is important. If you click it, you will see all the recipes. Uh, But you could also put your email address down to get them to your email. Now, some of them are, because of the way they process, they're getting trapped into your spam folders. My daily email from Substack has gotten trapped in people's spam folder in the last couple of days. I don't know why it's happening. Now, maybe the email companies are out to get me. I don't know. But if you text recipe to 33777, going to start sending out all the Thanksgiving recipes uh, starting this afternoon. So you'll get some today, tomorrow, Friday, Saturday, 
uh, all the recipes for you for the Thanksgiving and Christmas season. Now, I got to share a funny story. You know, um, when you you hear sometimes about people, they get a mean face. They have a mean face. So you all know Philip and Charlie. Charlie is the head of operations and programming for my show. He produces the show. He answers the phones as the show grows in syndication. He's in charge of it. Philip does all the digital stuff. Now, Charlie has worked for me for a while and has wised up. Charlie, if you were to meet him on the street and ask him what he did, he would tell you he works in a lawyer's office, which is really not a lie. Philip, on the other hand, is young and has not understood that he should never tell people who he works for. He was at a a dinner a couple of weeks ago at his university uh, that he graduated from, sat next to a woman. They were having a very pleasant conversation, and she asked him what he did for a living, and he said he runs the digital operations for the Eric Erickson show. And he said her face immediately changed. It became a very mean and angry-looking face. She looked at him, and she said, Oh, he doesn't think the election was stolen, does he? So he is on a cruise this week with his wife. They are headed down towards the Southern Caribbean, and he was. they are on a cruise. They were hanging out with some older couple from uh, New England, the New Jersey, uh, New York area. Struck up a conversation, retirees. He and his wife are about the youngest people on this cruise, it seems. And uh, having a conversation, and they ask what he does. He's like, well, it's safe. I mean, woman's from New Jersey, doesn't know who he is. He says, I, I run the digital operations for a talk radio show uh, called it The Eric Erickson Show. Oh, the woman listens to the live stream, knew exactly who I was, and that I don't think the election was stolen. It's always people of a certain age. <laughs> so now, relatedly, I had to go to Publix yesterday. And there's a a woman in a Cadillac in front of me, and she has a Stacey Abrams sticker. She has a human rights campaign sticker. She has uh, her Biden uh, Kamala Harris sticker. They're all on her Cadillac. She pulls into the parking space, and I pull into the one right next to her. And she turns over and looks. Oh, you can tell when they know me. Y'all, I'm not kidding. This woman reversed out of that parking spot and moved to a different part of the parking lot. I'm not making that up. She knew who I was. She did not even want to park next to me. I don't understand people. I just, I don't understand people like that. Well, uh, for my listeners in Georgia, it appears that your congressional redistricting is wrapping up and the Republicans will pick back up a congressional seat. Uh, Not a bad thing. Uh, They will get back Lucy McBath's seat, the 6th Congressional District in Georgia. They have rearranged the congressional district so that, um, well, for example, um, Marjorie Taylor Greene's district will creep a little further into the metro Atlanta area, still be solidly Republican. But Lucy McBath's district will change. It'll be the northern part of uh, Fulton County which is slightly, um, well, it, it, it trends Republican, but is moving Democrat, be the northeastern part of Cobb County. It will be a tiny, tiny sliver of Gwinnett County, the Sugar Hill, Hill area. It'll be all of Forsyth County, uh, and it will be some of Cherokee County. 
and it will be some of, um, well, it'll be up through, yeah, Forsyth County, Cherokee County, that area. It's going to be interesting to see how this shakes out. Um, and, you know, the reality is there's nothing the Democrats can do about this. Now, there is a rumor that you should know. There is a rumor that uh, if you're in Georgia, you probably need to know. Lucy McBath is the congresswoman for the 6th Congressional District, and she is going to possibly, more likely than not, uh, step into the David Scott Congressional District. The, the numbers are escaping. I'm trying to, to think of the numbers. Uh, and also, it's it's Dawson County and Forsyth County will be in Lucy McBath's district. Um so she, a rumor has it, I've been told by Democrats that David Scott, the congressman from South Atlanta, is in poor health, uh, is looking to not run again. And so they will shift Lucy McBath into his district. Uh, she will, of course, have a Democratic primary there, but all the Democrats will rally to her, uh, claiming she was a victim of those mean, awful Republicans. And she will then um, go on and cruise probably to victory. We'll see. I'm, I'm fascinated by the whole dynamic. Now, the 11th district will stretch a little further north, securing Barry Loudermilk, uh, his term, and the 10th district will maintain uh, secure Republicans so that um, John Barrow can't come back again. Now, I'm sure this is inside the baseball for those of you not listening to Georgia. I'm sorry. This just happened now. This also just happened. This is for all of you. The OSHA. Occupational Safety and Health Administration has announced it will stop moving forward with the vaccine mandate. OSHA has announced uh, that it will not proceed, uh, not or in its words, quote, take no steps to implement or enforce the emergency temporary standard on vaccinations until further court order. Now, for those of you who don't know, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals has the case there were what what the left did this is this is one of the interesting things that people do so when the 5th circuit court of appeals enjoined the federal government from enforcing the vaccine mandate the left filed lawsuits as well and the left filed the lawsuits in circuits where the democrats still control now, what happens if you have a, a case in the Ninth Circuit and a case in the Eighth Circuit and a case in the Eleventh Circuit and a case in the Fifth Circuit? And they're all the same case. They're all the same people suing the same people over the same thing. What happens is that someone in Washington, D.C., within the Department of Justice, has a group of ping pong balls in a cage. And each of them has a number, 1 through 13. There are 13 circuits plus D.C., and they literally give that thing a whirl and pull a ping pong ball out. The ping pong balls are observed by the lawyers. They're, uh, they're unweighted. They're, they're inspected to make sure, like the lottery, that there's no scam going on. They don't put a little weight in the Fifth Circuit one so it can't be picked. They spin this thing around. They shuffle up the ping pong balls. They reach their hand in. This I'm not making this up, by the way. They really use ping pong balls in a cage. And they reach in and they pull one out. And that court then gets all of the cases consolidated together. So they did that last night in Washington, D.C. 
The Fifth Circuit got the case. That's the most conservative circuit in the United States. It covers Texas and Louisiana. And uh, once the Fifth Circuit got it, OSHA has now come out this morning and said, all right, guys, we're done. Uh, The Biden administration had told people, told OSHA they could continue to enforce the vaccine mandate until consolidation of the cases. Now that the cases are consolidated, and it's been consolidated in the court that's already enjoined the vaccine mandate, that injunction now applies nationwide because of the ping pong ball, and so OSHA cannot enforce the vaccine mandate. So now listen to me. This is important. Some of you work for companies that have hidden behind the vaccine mandate. These companies want you to get the vaccine, but these companies do not want you to be made to feel like they're the ones imposing it on you. This is why the Biden administration did the vaccine mandate. It's not something that they have the power to do. I don't think constitutionally. The Fifth Circuit agrees. But as long as the Biden administration did it, your companies could say, well, it's not us. It's Joe Biden. Sorry. They could scapegoat Joe Biden. Now they can't. The Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, is now saying it will not enforce, will not implement, and will not proceed with the federally mandated vaccine. So if your company still forces you to get the vaccine, you need to know it is your company now. It's not the federal government. Your company now has nowhere to hide. I suspect we're going to see companies going like Southwest Airlines, which has walked back its vaccine mandate. You're going to see that some companies are going to do it. There are some companies in the country that have just been upfront that we want all of our employees vaccinated. I work for a company that wants its employees vaccinated. Now, I've already I've already got the vaccine. Uh, I've even got the booster. Uh, the company that I work for wants all of its employees to get it. However, they understand there are some employees who don't want it, and they will allow employees to do COVID testing on a regular basis if they don't want the vaccine. I think that's a fair compromise. Um, and some people don't think it's a fair comment. I, I do listen. They want you to either get the shot or, or be tested for COVID, so you, you don't spread it to your coworkers. Okay, you don't have to work there. But there are some companies out there who they're they're they want you to get the vaccine. They don't want to be reasonable. I mean, there are some companies out there that aren't providing alternate paths. It's either get the vaccine or be fired. And they're perfectly willing to fire you, but they've been hiding many of them behind Joe Biden saying, oh, it's not us. It's him. Well, it's not him anymore. It is not Joe Biden anymore. Joe Biden has announced, well, the the uh, OSHA has announced they're not going to enforce it. So if your company decides that you still got to get the vaccine, they have nowhere to hide now. It's on them and you can act accordingly. Gosh, there's been so much news. I've got all this stuff I want to talk about, and there's the, there's so much news. But I, I need to get back to these other situations here um, with, with the Democrats and the polling. And by the way, the vaccine mandate goes into it. There is now split polling. You know, in the, in the exit polling in Virginia, all the opinion polling in Virginia showed that a slim majority supported the vaccine mandate. The actual exit polling of voters who actually voted showed a majority opposed the vaccine mandate. So the opinion polling and the exit polling, and the exit polling is always better, differ on that. Now, here is this. 
uh, on uh, some dude on Twitter who is uh, oh he's the director of a um, analysis campaign analysis website, and he is. I want to read you his tweet. We're a year away from the election, with only 16 states yet forecasted for their state legislatures, with an expected triple-digit Republican net gain. This is how devastating it's going to be for the Democrats in the state elections next year. The nationwide gains at this rate will more than undo all of the seat gains Democrats made in 2018 nationwide. They'll likely lose a few chambers, too. They're underdogs in the Alaska House. They will be the underdogs in the Minnesota House. They only have a 50-50 shot at the Maine House. And then you have some more opportunities for Republicans to flip chambers. The only chamber that Democrats flipped in 2018 the GOP has no shot at is the New York State Senate. This is bad. Republicans are favored to gain 100 seats in 16 states in their state legislature, and more are coming. Now, I want to use Georgia as an example here because Georgia's not alone, but it's the one I know best, and this translates to Texas. This translates to Ohio. This translates to Florida for sure. Say what you will, but Donald Trump was a drain on some states. Now, I, I want to specifically talk about Texas and Georgia right now, but it extrapolates to other states where Donald Trump underperformed or lost those states. So Republicans in Georgia have redesigned their state legislative seats, and they used the data from 2020's elections to help them draw their state legislative races. And Republicans in the state house, for example, gave away six seats to the Democrats. They, they gave up six seats. One they gave up because he's a Republican who's a conservative, and the Speaker of the House doesn't like him, so they punished him by forcing his seat into the hands of the Democrats. To make that work on the map, they had to give up five other seats as well. Here's the problem. They're using worst-case scenario data. Donald Trump was a drag on the GOP, so Republicans around the country are drawing districts contemplating that worst-case scenario when they may be giving up some seats they didn't need to give up because without Trump, things get better for the GOP. Without Trump, the data shows that suburban voters are more likely to vote for the GOP. Now, this leads to a corollary analysis. In these situations, you could very well have the Republicans drawing seats thinking they're going to become either swing seats or Democrat seats, and instead, they're Republican seats. They think the Democrats could occupy the seat, but there could be such a big Republican wave coming next year that the Republicans actually pick up the seats. Now, I got to tell you, I, I'm trying not to get excited by that idea, by a wave. Because, you know, in, in 2020, there was a Democratic wave, but the Republican wave was so big it neutralized it. And I don't see a Democratic wave shaping up unless maybe if the Supreme Court throws Roe v. Wade out, which is a possibility – that emboldens the Democrats. But I it's still, the majority of voters who vote on that issue are Republican, not Democrat. Uh, abortion fires up the right. It never fires up the left. Maybe it would if you got rid of Roe, but I doubt it because nothing would really change. No one would really see their lives change in that situation. The, the bottom line, though, here is that this is shaping up to be brutal for the Democrats, and everything they're doing is making it worse. They become so obsessed with passing Build Back Better They've ignored every other issue. 
And now they're taken to telling people, well, this will make it better when it won't. And voters realize that. Voters recognize that. And voters are getting angry with the Democrats right now. All of the data out there shows the Democrats should be going into mitigation right now. And they are so institutionally at this point committed to passing Build Back Better and have now convinced themselves that is the mitigation strategy, that they're not dealing with gas prices, they're not dealing with oil, they're not dealing with inflation, they're not dealing with the supply chain, they're not dealing with groceries. They've ignored all of these things to claim that Build Back Better solves it all. They're pouring all their hopes and dreams into a piece of legislation that may not even pass and won't solve their problems and is too big and unwieldy and complicated to explain, and that's going to cost them votes. It's a terrible, terrible path they've gone down, but they have so now fundamentally, institutionally, philosophically bought into it, there's no escape for them. Almost makes you feel bad for them, except... They brought it on themselves. It's probably a good thing that they have their comeuppance. And that we actually I, – I want. I don't want to talk all – listen, I want to move on in the next hour. I don't want to just talk politics all the time. I'm, I'm getting kind of tired of the topic if I'm honest. But the comeuppance of the Democrats, we got to talk about it lovingly and honestly and open. And some of you will get mad. But there's a point that has to be made about this when we come back. All right. I want to make a serious point, and then I want to move on. The problem that Democrats have in the election coming up is a philosophical problem. It is not inflation. It is not gas prices. It is not food prices. It's everything. It is a philosophical problem because they come across as disliking people not like them. And so they come across as uncaring. They come across as unconcerned. And that ultimately is their problem. You know what they're doing now? Certain progressive district attorneys are in the nation. USA Today has the story today. They're going after groups that train you on how to use firearms. Because they're afraid if you get too good at using firearms, you may become an unauthorized militia. It's ridiculous. They're going after parents who challenge school boards. It's ridiculous. They're attacking you for buying too much, saying you should buy less. You're the problem with the supply chain. It's ridiculous. And then in the school systems, you all who are parents and you had kids in public school, you got to witness your children in the Zoom calls last year. And you realize how ridiculous it is, what they're being taught. And you're mad. The Democrats have a heart problem. They have a culture problem when it comes to people who don't think like them. Now, they can say, but Trump, but Trump, but Trump. But Trump's not on the ballot. Trump's not in office. Trump's not president. It didn't help Terry McAuliffe. And you want to you wanna do that? You, you, you want to go down that road? That's not going to help you. It is a real problem for the Democrats that they come across as uncaring, unfeeling, uh, un, un, uh, lacking empathy. Joe Biden was elected because voters thought he had more empathy than Donald Trump. The result 
was a president who came into office and then showed that he had no empathy whatsoever and blamed everybody else for his problems. And the voters are very mad about this. At the end of the day, you can't continue getting elected if you don't respect your voters. Y'all, that's why I wasn't going to run for office again. I think voters are stupid people. And there was no way I could get reelected running. I didn't want it. I hated the job to begin with. I just, I got elected because nobody else wanted the job. And so I ran unopposed. I actually was begging people to run and I would step aside. No one did. So I got elected for a four-year term and my gosh, did I hate every minute of it. And encountering constituents, the constituents who can't take care of themselves, who are always complaining, yeah, you you, you can have a, a low impression of the people who get mad because their trash didn't get picked up and they were too lazy to get up in the morning and roll their trash can down. I I held them in contempt. The problem is that the Democrats want to get reelected. I never did. And so they can't act like that. They can't act like parents are the bad people. They can't act like your gas prices aren't a problem. They can't act like they haven't done anything. And they can't act like they're doing anything right now because they aren't. It's a real problem. But there's another problem we must talk about when we come back. The mental health problem in this country is starting to get out of hand. Uh, The performative nonsense you see on places like TikTok, I played you some audio yesterday. I want to play it again, but we got to spend a little more time on this particular issue because it's only going to get worse, and it's actually kind of indicative of why voters are in open rebellion right now in that so much of the nonsense and craziness and insanity is getting normalized. And you thought these last two years were crazy. Welcome to 2022. It's coming up and nothing makes sense still, especially in business. If you're a small business owner, good luck getting financing from a big bank right now. I can offer you a fantastic solution. If you're looking for $750,000 or more in financing for your business, First Liberty Building and Loan. Let's say you want to buy a new building or you want to refi existing debt or you want to buy a company. Basically, you see opportunity for your business to grow, but you've hit a wall with the mega banks getting financing. That's where First Liberty Building and Loan and my friends, the Frost family, come in. They solve small business financing problems better than anyone I've ever seen. They say yes, where big banks say no. It's that simple. Look, just do this. Spend 10 minutes with them. Call them, First Liberty Building and Loan, say Eric sent you. In 10 minutes, you'll know if you're a good fit for their program. Go to firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. They help small businesses nationwide in all 50 states. Firstlibertyga.com. 